Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. All right, so we are in Back to John, um, and if you're new with this, we'll catch you on up to Back to John, but what we're doing is throughout the year, we're coming back to the Gospel of John, hence the name, Back to John, uh, and we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of John, and today is no different. We are in uh, John chapter 12 is where we're at, and so to catch you up where we're at with John 12, in John chapter 11, Lazarus raises from the dead. Right? Jesus calls him out and he lay, raises from the dead. And there are two women around it that are seated that are connected to it. And it's Lazarus' sister, Martha and Mary. And um, then in John 12, we're seeing a, a dinner. We're, la- we're at Lazarus' house and we're, we're, we're watching a dinner take place. And today, I kind of want to see the response to Jesus. What it looks like when you find out who Jesus is, how they respond, and maybe how that might reflect how we should respond or do respond. Now, uh, who I'm really talking to has to do with people who see Jesus for who he is. So if you're in the wrestle and you're not sure who Jesus is, maybe maybe it's not fair to like have you respond a certain way because you're not sure yet. But if you've decided to follow Jesus with your life, you're a Christ follower and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then you're probably in the same boat as Mary and Martha. The, see, what they saw was somebody who moved from, in, in John 11, he could have just kind of been a prophet. He could have just kind of known some things and, and had some miraculous power. He could have just been a Messiah, the Messiah, but he didn't have to be divine. He didn't have to be the Son of God. And now he moved into a new level in John 11. In John 11, it went from you have control over death. There is something different about you. There is something divine over you because nobody else should be able to do that but God. So now they're seeing him differently. So now that they see him differently, how do they respond to him? Okay, and what I want to look at is how do we respond? I want to ask ourselves the question, how do we respond to Jesus versus how should we respond to Jesus? Okay, so uh, there's, there's going to be three responses. The first one is Mary, early on, or, or Martha. Early on, Martha is serving. Martha is serving. Another gospel we see where, where Martha's busy. She's, she's busy doing stuff. She's busy in the midst of all the things that need to be taking place in this moment. And the second one is her sister Mary. And we're going to kind of see her response uh, in Mary, verse 3 of John chapter 12. So then Mary took three quarters of a pound of expensive aromatic oil from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then wiped his feet dry with her hair. Now the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfumed oil. Okay, Mary's response is extreme. Okay, maybe you've heard this story before, and maybe it's maybe it doesn't hold as much weight anymore, or maybe just it's hard to picture because it just seems like a story, like something just happened. It's like, oh, that's interesting. We move on. It's one verse. We move on. But I need you to picture what she's actually doing, right? Th- this is not a quick moment thing. She is. There's a crowd of people. There's the disciples. There's her brother. There's her sister, and she stops the moment to to fill the room with the fragrance. She breaks this thing at his feet, and we find out it's very expensive, and and then wipes his feet dry with her hair. That would have been that would have been embarrassing, right? That would have I mean, I know we like to see Jesus walking on clouds and not talk about the humanity of Jesus, but he is in a dry, arid climate where he's walking with some open-toed shoes through dusty area. The second you sweat, it latches on. His feet would have been nasty. 
Okay. Now, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long, how, how they even clipped their toenails in the first century. I don't know how they do that. I don't think he had the prettiest of feet. And yet she, in, in, in that environment, in that area, decides to really shame herself, embarrass herself in, the, in front of everybody. And she does it ex- in an expensive, extravagant way. And I would say Martha's response to the Son of God in her house is busy. Mary's response to the Son of God is worship, is like, like reckless worship, it is, is unashamed worship. It's, it, is, it is like, it is an extreme version of worship where her heart is, is, is outside where everybody can see. They can see what's going on on the inside, right? There's, there's Martha, there's Mary. And there's one more response. Somebody who's been with Jesus, someone who saw Lazarus. Let's check out the third response. Uh, ch- uh, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was going to betray him, said, Why wasn't this oil sold for 300 silver coins and the money given to the poor? Now Judas said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money box, he used to steal what was put into it. Judas's response to the moment to Jesus in the room is to really be analytical about it. Right? He, he uses excuses and logic in the room where the Son of God is. He uses his thoughts. And, and, and for our purposes, I'm not, I'm not coming against asking questions. I'm not coming against the, the wrestle of what you have questions for, but he has come to a conclusion about what should happen and what shouldn't happen. He has decided something. And many times we say it's logic. So for the purpose of today's message, I'm not talking about questions. I'm talking about logical conclusions. The thing that you have decided to be true, and Judas has decided something is true. This was a bad thing to do. We could have done this a better way, Jesus. And in that moment, he is technically right, in my opinion, but his motives are wrong, right? His motives are off. They're, they're skewed. They're not, they're not the right motives. We see him saying, hey, this could have been done a better way, but it's really not about the better way. It's really about his own selfishness and really about what he wants to justify him doing, continuing to do as he's stealing from the money box to help is, is helping further the ministry, right? So he, ha- he has technically the right logic, in my opinion, and, but the wrong motives, so if I'm honest with you, this is, this is, you may not want to hear this. You may choose a different church after this, but I understand what Judas is saying. I don't, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with his motives. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's hard to admit when we agree with Judas, right? And throughout history, Judas is the guy. He's like the worst of the worst. We always look down on Judas, but like in this moment, if I'm honest, if I'm reading to the story, right? I, I mean, his motives are wrong. Jesus, I get that, but he was kind of right. Like for instance, if you came in here, and what, what we find out is this is worth 300 uh, silver coins, the equivalent today of one year's salary. That's how much she came in. So in Muskogee County, uh, our average household income is like 36000 a year. So she came in with perfume worth $36,000 per year. Why you're why you spending that on perfume? That's a whole other set of questions, right? $36,000 worth of perfume. And she walks in and destroys it. Stank up the room. You know what I'm saying? Just the whole room just got, oof. I don't know about you. Bed, bath, and beyond makes me nauseous. It's too much. It's too much. And the whole room is filled with $36,000 worth of If you came in this building and you had some, worth, something worth $36,000 and I saw you just, oh, worship took place and God moved on you and you were about to come to the front and destroy it, I will tackle you. Okay? I just, it's not something I'm proud of. 
but it is something I would probably do, all right? I would check you into the crisis unit, to the psych ward, whatever we got to do to get you some help, and then we would discuss a better way to handle that $36,000 product. There's so many more things that you can do with that $36,000 product, just for your own life, for the ministry, for what God wants to do, like all of these excuses. And it's interesting and, and hard to admit that, like, I agree with Judas's logic. And that, that brings up the third response. See, we, we've got busy, We've got worship, and then we've got logic. We've got excuses, right? Because his logic wasn't really based on, on actual calculated logic. His logic was really based on excuses, on motives. He had a certain motive for what he wanted to accomplish because his mo- motives were impure. And for many of us, it's hard to say, but, but a lot of us are like Judas. Maybe not on a big scale. I hope you're not betraying Jesus on a daily and you're not stealing from the church somehow. Like, hopefully you're not like Judas that far, but, but maybe, maybe we start in, on small scales. Maybe we start with, with thinking that our logic is right and never acknowledging that it's our motives that aren't pure. And we think because we are technically right that we're okay, but I would argue this. As Jesus followers, I'll say it like this if you're taking notes. As Jesus followers, being right with the wrong motives is just being wrong. I don't think that's true for everybody out there. I don't know if that's true for everybody out there. But as Jesus followers, he cares more about our heart and our motives than he does about the technicalities of us being right. The Pharisees were right a lot, but their heart was wrong. I mean, they got it technically right a lot of times, but their heart was wrong. When your motives are off, when you're following Jesus, it feels like, I, I can't prove this, but I think Jesus will mess up your plans, like the perfect plans that you created and orchestrated, like all the right logical ways, because your motives were wrong. No, no, it was perfectly orchestrated. But Jesus was like, no, 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 as my kid, I'm not letting you get away with your heart being corrupted. I'm not going to let you get away with thinking that just because you have the right technical logic and excuses for what you want to do, that you have the right motives. I care more about your heart than I care about the product of what you do and accomplish on the outside. And so for us, if you maybe are with me, and maybe you're like me, you find out like you're really good at making excuses. Like you're really good at justifying your bad behavior. I would maybe go back and maybe, maybe start to check in on whether or not you can really trust your own logic, whether you can really own, trust your own conclusions. Maybe, maybe you really can't trust your heart. Maybe you can't trust your decisions. Like, we think we can. Like, I get it. I, I'm the guy. I'm the worst at it. I'm the best at making excuses for what I want to do, okay? All the way back, just finding ways to justify anything that I want to do. And I was a guy, if you're like me, if you're not, if you're not Martha in this scenario, you're like a, a Judas, unfortunately, you, you may be good at creating arguments for why you can justify what you want to do. Right, that you, you can create all the arguments and justify it, and you can get away with a lot of stuff because you have a good argument for it. But at the end of the day, God cares more about my motive than he does about the, the actual technical correctness of it. And most of us don't realize that our actual IQ and the quality of our argument doesn't dictate what we believe. Like study after study are proving that the, the level of your IQ doesn't prove what you're going to believe in, about in conspiracy theories. How smart you are doesn't prove what you're going to believe about global warming. How smart you are isn't going to tell you which political party you're going to follow. How smart you are isn't going to tell you what you believe about any controversy in the world. All over the board, it's not about how smart we are. What we find out that what we're doing, all the studies are indicating, what we actually do is we decide what we want to be true, and we go search things that prove us right. That's what we do. Like over and over again, you know how smart we are, how, how logical we think we are. It's really the heart that drives the ship. 
We, no, we think, we think, no, not me, not me, Jared. Well, you're probably with me as being a Judas. Not me. I'm really smart, really logical. I'm that guy because I'm over here like I know I'm right and I'm just waiting on y'all to catch up. I'm actually being super graceful to give y'all time to catch up to me because I know I'm right and I'm going to be nice about how I convert you and convince you that I'm right. That's how stupid I am. And most of us don't realize how, how true it is over and over again that we have confirmation bias. We're trying to prove the thing that we already believe, that we already want to be true. We're not objective. Our heart drives the shit. It's like this. Uh, for many of you that grew up with video games, especially if si had siblings, my, my house really wasn't a, like a video game house, but I was the youngest. So if it was a video game house and my brother and sister would have been playing video games, I would have annoyed the life out of them because that's just the kid I was. I would have been annoyed. Let me play. My turn. Ah, mom, dad, it's not my turn. And so what my brother and sister would have done had we been a video game house is they would have handed me a controller. Now, here you go, Jared. Just, just play the game with me. It's fine. And I would have been on that controller, bah, bah, just crushing it, except for it wouldn't have been plugged in. You know what I'm talking about? That's what every older sibling does. Their little brother, little sister is like, yeah, you can play. And they're over here controlling everything. And I'm over here on the fake controller just thinking I'm crushing it. And what it is is your logic is unplugged. What's really driving your choices is the controller of your heart. The emotions are controlling. I mean, therapists are saying, like, there's a whole triangle that we can look at that thoughts lead to emotions and emotions lead to behaviors. Your emotions lead to your behavior, not your thoughts. Your emotions lead to your behaviors. Your, your emotions can affect your thoughts, and your thoughts can affect your emotions. But at the end of the day, the thing that decides what you're going to do with your life is your heart, your emotions. The things that you're going to act upon is how you feel. And the more that we don't acknowledge that, the, 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 the more we're not going to fix it. You don't, you don't fix things that, are that aren't broke. If you think you're good, and you think that you have perfect logic, and it's not your heart, you're never going to really assess where it comes from. And it starts so small. Maybe, maybe you're like out because, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be Judas. No, no, no. You know what it's like to have created an argument for what you want to do and then fight it on the back end. It wasn't a good argument. It was just what you wanted, right? Let me give you a couple examples. Some of you know that a few years ago you dated somebody and everybody told you, listen, ah, there's some red flags. Like, no, hold up. I know she did that to other people. She ain't going to do that to me. I know that he treated somebody like that, but not me because di he's different. She's changed, right? You got all these excuses. Like, I know it's going to be perfect. And then it falls apart, and you realize, I was just lonely. It, it was my heart that wanted to be with somebody, and I was willing to overlook all the red flags to date the wrong person, even though everybody told me I was wrong, and I created this whole world of logic and why I was right. But at the end of the day, when it falls apart, you go, that was my heart. Some of you could look right now at your Amazon past orders and see where your heart is leading you. You know what I'm saying? Like, ain't got no money, but you've been buying all the stuff. Like, I didn't, I didn't need that fancy umbrella. Why did I buy that? I had five umbrellas. It just looked cool, and I had to buy it. It wasn't your logic. It was your heart. It was leading me. Here's my favorite phrase. Like the worst phrase you can say as a Christian in my books is, I deserve this. <laughs> That's just your heart. You know, every time you say, I deserve this, the next thing you're about to do is the wrong thing. I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time, oh, I deserve this. Nope, nope. You're sad. You feel upset. And you're going to do something that you know is not healthy for you. And so you're going to make excuses with your heart and make logic like, you, you just showed up on time for work for one single time. It doesn't mean you deserve it. It doesn't mean you deserve it. I mean, it's just, it just is. And we let our heart lead the direction of our life. And if, if we're Christ followers, again, this is not for everybody out there. This is for those of us who've said that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the son of God, and we believe he died on the cross for our sins, and that we've chosen to follow him with our life. If you're in that boat, then you have to believe what he says about your heart. 
And that's found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The issue with, with this whole idea, is that recognizing that our heart leads us, is that any area of our life that is not governed by Jesus is corrupted. It's just who we are. It, it is deceitful. It will trick you into things. It will hurt you. It will dominate your life, and you'll think you're logical. You'll think you're intelligent, but you are leading, you'll be leading your ship right towards where Judas was. And the danger of Judas is the furthest extent is a rejection of Jesus. The, if you continue down a path where you are convinced of your own logic and your own uh, excuses, then eventually your heart leads you all the way away from Jesus. Like, you'll make all the excuses in the world until you have gotten so corrupt because you believe it's your logic and your excuse if it's really your heart, and your heart is steering you right away from him because it doesn't want to let him in. The only one that fixes this is Jesus. And, and, and you, can't, you can't just give him a portion of your heart. Jesus asks for all of it. He wants every bit of your heart. And I'm not saying overnight, man, sanctification and getting purified and holy before God is a process. Like it takes time to let him have more and more of a heart. So I'm not saying that in this moment you're going to perfect it, but I am saying you can start taking steps. One step at a time to go, I don't trust my heart. I don't trust my excuses. I don't trust my logic. And let Jesus purify your motives. Let him start to to wash you of all the things you thought you needed, all the things that you thought were right, all the ways that you thought that you should live and act, and that the ways that you justified those, you go, no, no, no. Jesus, you tell me. There's this prayer that, that David prays, and David is considered a man after God's own heart, and it's something along the lines of, Jesus, know my heart. Purify my thoughts. If there's any anxious way in me, correct it. It's a dangerous prayer. Because Jesus will start to weed out all the ways in which you don't want to admit you're wrong. And all the ways he's saying, no, no, I got more for you. I've got better for you. I've, I've, I, I'm actually trying to purify your heart for a purpose, but you've got to let me in. And so today, if you are like me, and one of your responses are excuses and using your logic to justify your bad behavior, it's time to admit, my heart is corrupted. My heart is steering the ship, and my heart is corrupted. I need to let him purify every area, even my own excuses, even my own logic. Now, there's a second way, right? So we've got Judas, who's pretty extreme, and Judas is kind of a, he's like 100% wrong, right? We know his motives are all wrong and all bad, and, and maybe his way is real corrupt, but there's a second way that is Martha. This, like, if I had to put it on a scale, Martha's like 50% wrong, right? I don't know if you can be. It's still fell in grade. I don't know what that means for Martha, which direction she's heading, but like, she's not as wrong as Judas, but still wrong, and here's how I know she's wrong. We'll take a look at how Jesus responds to her uh, in uh, John chapter 12, verse 7, 8. This is Jesus responding to Judas about Mary, but it's going to tie into Martha. So, so Jesus said, leave her alone, talking about Mary. She has kept it for the day of my burial, for you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. All right, fellow Judases, I know what you just read. And you read, I don't have to take care of the poor. That's what you read, because you want an excuse to keep your money in your pocket. That's not what he's saying. What, Je what Jesus is saying in this moment is a tie back to Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy tells us the poor will always live among you, so you need to find ways to be generous to the poor. So he's connecting back to a whole generosity scripture. He's not justifying, ignoring the poor. He's saying you will have ample opportunity to do good, but you will not always have this moment. You will not always have this time. What that ties to for us is that 
Martha was doing good stuff, right? You're supposed to serve. I mean, he, he tells us that, like, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you're going to learn, to learn to serve. That's what Martha's doing is serving. She's doing a really good thing, but she's not doing the best thing. She's missing the moment. She's missing the moment that, that is precious because she's serving and she's busy and she's staying busy and she's staying busy until she missed Jesus in the midst of her busyness. So maybe you're not susceptible to being like me or being like Judas, but maybe you're susceptible to being like Martha. Where you, so, you stay so busy and some of you are so good at it. Some of us are so good. I know, I, I mean, us as pastors can be good at this. Where we stay so busy serving Jesus that we miss Jesus. We stay so busy with the things that Jesus says are good to do and the things that we want to do that we miss Jesus in the process. He's saying you're always going to have these moments to do the good things that you're supposed to do, but don't miss the best things. Don't miss the very best. And for some of you, you stay busy to avoid all the stuff. You stay busy for all the wrong reasons because it's like it, it becomes like this kind of dopamine hit where you can avoid all of your insecurities. You can avoid the fact that you might need to go to therapy or sit down in a brick group or convey some of your vulnerabilities. You can avoid all of that if you just stay busy enough. And I would say this, like I said to, to the others, we're going to say it in a different way to the Marthas. Doing the right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. As Christ followers, doing the right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. Serving is good. Serving people is good. But when Jesus is in the room, you have to recognize the best thing, right? Jesus tells, tells them in, in another gospel when this kind of same story is happening. He's like, no, no, I'm not taking Mary away from the best thing. I know you're doing a good thing, Martha, but I'm not taking Mary away from the best thing, this moment of worship. I'm not doing that. I'm not taking that away from her. Do a good thing, but don't miss the best thing. And for some of you, you get so busy with stuff that Jesus is saying, stop. They're, they're, the best thing is let me do a work in you, not just through you. We get so busy with all the stuff of like, I'm going to accomplish this. I mean, some of you even in here, it's serving. We have one where you can attend one, serve one. And the serve is easy for you. You're like, I, got, I put my hands to stuff. And then we tell you to go attend. You're like, but I got, I got to go run, do some stuff. Because stopping for a moment of worship, stopping to calm down and let God do something on that deep inside of you is hard. It's hard work. It's scary. It's easier to stay busy. It's easier to look good to everybody else than let God make you good deep down. It really, it really is. There's so many times that you're working and you're serving and you think you're doing it for all the right reasons, but you're really doing it to avoid Him. Avoid what He's trying to do in you because He can't do things through you if He's not doing things in you. It's time to stop, Martha. Don't be busy all the time. There's a moment where the Savior's in the room and you need to stop. When there's a moment where God shows up, when there's a moment of worship, when there's a moment where the message is for you, when there's a moment where you need to, where he raises the red flag and God is doing something in your life, stop and let him do his work. Because what you're missing out on, may, maybe, maybe it's not heaven. Maybe you're missing out on all the ways you could bring heaven to others. Maybe you're missing out on how you could love your kids better, how you could love your spouse better, how you could, how you could do all the things that God has for you with more fullness. Instead of just being busy, you could be fulfilled could really love people well so here's a question for both of us for Judas for Martha that I want you to ask that I want you to wrestle with when you start to get off track is it for me or is it for him is it for me or is it for him and you have to be honest with yourself you have to let Jesus into your heart and let him into your motives and you have to really be honest for a second like hold up am I am I staying busy 
because I really love Jesus and he's really called me to do this or am I staying busy to avoid the thing he wants to do in me? Am I staying busy to, to avoid the moment he's got happening in my life? Is this, is this thing, is this logic make life easier on me? Is this an excuse for me to continue to sin or is it really about serving him? Am I really making an excuse like Judas in order to justify my stealing and my sin and the other things that I want to do? Or am I, am I actually listening to the heartbeat of God and doing the thing that he wants me to do? The more you ask that, the more that you can go deep into your heart and turn into Mary. See, because Mary's response is worship. And I think hers is absolutely the best response. Jesus confirms it's the best response. He's saying like this, I'm not taking this from her. This is the best thing you can do. You can't, you can't do all the busyness. You can't have all the right answers and miss out on the moment of worship in your life. So, so to define worship, um, worship for me is when your heart, your emotions come in line with what you say you believe. Right? I'll say that again. Worship is the moment where your heart, your emotions come in line with what you say you believe. As Christ followers, we say be- we believe the creator of the universe loves us. That's a big moment when our heart comes in line with that. That, that he's got good things for us. What, what he's so good at is that when we make it about him, he can't help but make it about us. I mean, why not worship like that? Why not have our heart purified to that degree where we love him like that and trust him with our heart because he can't help but make it about us. You know what it's like. Some of you that have kids, you understand. Like there are some kids that can handle some stuff. And when they can handle stuff and they're responsible stuff, you want to give them more stuff. You want to bless them more. But when they don't, when they can't, when they're distracted, when they're doing the wrong things, you don't want to give them more stuff because they can't handle it. They're just going to hurt themselves with it. The more you make it about him, the more he makes it about you because that's what a good father does. When you can handle it, when your heart is purified, when your motives are purified, when you slow down to just trust him and let your emotions come in line with what you say you believe, that can change a room. I mean, that, that can shift some stuff in your life. That can change some things. And, and what, what, I, what I want is that it's not just a day, right? It's not just a moment, but it's every day that you're getting closer and closer to letting your heart continue in the right emotions, the, the, the truth of what's real, right? The, 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 moment, the, the moment of worship is what's actually true. The moment of worship, if you actually believe Jesus is who he says he is and he died on the cross for your sins, the moment that you find out the creator of the universe has your back, He's got the end written from the beginning. He's got it all figured out. That moment, when, it's, when it hits, that's the truth. That's what's real. And when it feels like it's real, that's when you're starting to come in line with your whole being of like the goodness and the mercy of God. And that should reflect an action, right? Th- that, sh- that should come out as a, as a, as a reaction, right? Our, our, our heart changes our actions that's what happens so right out of the abundance of our heart our mouth speaks our our heart is what's showing our actions and when our actions don't reflect the right things then we have questions about where our heart is at and today i want your heart to be in line with where it's at on monday tuesday wednesday thursday and just maybe maybe we're just getting a little better maybe we'll progress just a little bit at a time like music is the greatest tool i know of for worship but it's not the only tool. Some of you recognize that like in your life, you have moments of worship that are way outside of music. A walk through the woods, you look at the stars and the, the, the largeness of what God can do and has done just shocks you. A quiet drive and talking to God may be the most worshipful moment you have. However you do it, let your heart come into alignment with what's true. And then let your actions reflect that that's true, right? 
what, what happens to, to, to Mary is that Jesus affirms she's doing the best thing. Not Judas, for sure. Not Martha, but she's doing the best thing. The thing that is gross, right? If we're honest, she's washing, she's wiping his nasty feet. The thing that is over the top, it's illogical. It's $36,000 worth of illogical. It's messy, it's embarrassing. She's got to show out in front of everybody and, it, and it's costing her more than I think maybe we know. It is costly to her. Like our worship might cost us something, but it doesn't seem like it has anywhere near the value when it costs you something because you know who he is. When your heart really reflects on who God is and the bigness of what God is, it's like, I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it costs. For some of you, I'm not going to ask you to give up $36,000, but I might ask it to cost you something. I might ask you to be okay being embarrassed in worship. Meaning, like, for that, that, was, that was a small thing. Maybe, maybe it was a huge thing for Mary. I don't know. She cost her, her reputation. She looked like, she looked pretty foolish. I mean, the whole, all the disciples around, all the people watching her in that moment for a long period of time, probably weeping at Jesus' feet. She's got to look embarrassed. I'm getting my hair dirty. It's not, we don't have real good running water. I don't got a hot, I don't got a hot water tank to wash my hair off. This is going to cost me something. But I'm going to be embarrassed in front of other people. And some of us, and, and I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want the external way we worship to be the only thing we measure, but some of us should worship externally, right? Some of us stay right here. Just, mm, yes, Lord, you're so good. Oh, okay, cool. And maybe for some of you, you're very stoic, and that's, that's a lot. That's exuberant. But some of you watching the game yesterday got pretty exuberant. Some, some of you in the middle of a heated argument, you get pretty exuberant. Some of you get really excited when something amazing happens and you're, you, you reflect it with your emotions and your life. Some of you cheer like crazy. Some of you get excited. Some of you at the party, you're the life of the party but when it comes to worship. Mm, yes, Lord, sing that song with the tunes, with the words. Oh, you're so good. Some of you are stoic, right? Some of you don't respond like that to a game or to an argument, to a fight. Some of you don't respond in that way. And so maybe that really is a really aggressive form of worship. But for others of you, you know it's a red flag. You know that if your heart really understood and grasped the grandeur of God, you would all of a sudden cut loose. Some of you would weep and break. Some of you would run the building. Some of you would shout. Your physical reaction would change because it's so much better than a game. It's so much better than the fight. It's so much better than the argument. so much better than all the things that cre create the emotions that come to the top. If you are an emotional person that, that exudes emotion, it should reflect in your worship. And if it doesn't, I would argue your heart isn't yet in alignment. It isn't yet in alignment with how good God is and how big this thing is, or else you would react. You cry at every movie with a sad ending, but you don't cry with God. That's a red flag. That means your heart doesn't yet know what's true. Your head does. You're like, no, God's good. I've heard it. I've been Let's talk about it. I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus in my life. No, no, no. No, no, no. It might cost you something. And it might cost you more than you're willing to pay to let your emotions loose and really let him in. For Mary, it cost. See, the thing about Mary is it just didn't cost all those things. It probably cost her her career. I don't think she cared. But it may have cost her career. See, it's an odd thing to think that she had a $36,000 bottle of perfume. But what we know about the first century is that perfume was used in careers. A specific career was prostitution. It wasn't very common. Perfume was not like it wasn't a worthy expenditure unless it was a business expense. Right? Some of you know if you own a business, there are, there are pieces of equipment you need to buy that are very expensive, but they help you make more money. And what we know about the first century is that there were perfumes and there were smells that you would put on that let everybody know what your business was. 
How they could procure procure your services is if you had that right perfume on. So I don't know why she had $36,000 worth of perfume unless she was a prostitute. And most scholars would argue that that's what's taking place. And it's not just costing her her embarrassment. It's not just costing her $36,000. It's costing her career because she doesn't have anything left to, to continue that career of sin. And she says, what's in the room is bigger than any risk I'm about to take. Listen, you could have, if, if I'm her, you could have sold that, that perfume and made it for a year until you figured out a better career. You could have lived off of that, but you said, no, no, no. This moment is bigger than anything else because I know who's in front of me. Because my heart is resonating and it may cost me something, but I don't care because I know how big what's happening. $36,000, I got the son of God in front of me. He got it all figured out. I just watched him raise my brother from the dead, who was probably my protector, who probably helped me not die in my career. The guy who had my back, the guy I loved as my brother, I just watched him be raised from the dead. What does it matter if I lose $36,000 right here, right now, because I know who's in front of me? Don't miss the moment. And when you do, when you miss like, oh, how big he is, how good he is, let him in. Let him in to show you how good and how big God is. At a moment where I was trying to like resonate with, Mar- with Mary, because I'm not Mary. It's not, my, uh, it's not my natural response. I'm not like a particularly emotional guy on, on a normal day. I was like trying to think through, like, what would that look like? To empathize with what she's going through. She, she lost her brother, watched him be dead for four days, probably devastated, crying, weeping, wondering, just, God, anything, whatever you could do. And I thought about what I would do. Some of you know, um, my parents passed away about a year and a half ago. Both of them died at the same time. And if, if, if I saw them walk through that, those doors, you would see me act a fool. You would see me weep. I might run. I might scream. I might shout. I might take my clothes off. Don't, don't come at me. I'm going to lose my ever-loving mind. I'm going to worship God with everything I've got because in that moment, I'm going to realize he did something huge and he's so much bigger and there's nothing else in this world that could ever matter again because I just saw what happened. I've got something worth $36,000 from them. Part of their inheritance, I got my dad's truck. And I, I keep, I keep some, he, he smoked a pipe and I keep some of his tobacco just like around in it so I can smell and stay connected. I wouldn't need that if he was back. <laughs> what are we doing with the car? That's your truck. I had dreams. I have really weird, vivid dreams. And I'll have these dreams where we're like working through the estate and trying to figure out what to do. And all of a sudden, my parents will be there like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm like, wait. In the dream, I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh, we don't need to divide any of this. You need your truck back. Here's the land. Here's all the things that we inherited. This is all your stuff back. And for me, if God brought all that back, None of it would matter because the power and the goodness and the mercy of God in that moment, that's what Mary's feeling. That's what Mary's experiencing. Like, no, no, it doesn't matter what I lose, what it costs me, because the Son of God is in the room. He's here. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he can bring my brother back from life, from death, then surely he'll take care of me. I'll just trust him because I've got to show worship. I've got to exude worship. I've got to give up anything I need to give up to follow him with my heart. And my heart should reflect action. And then I want to step deeper. I want to step deeper to think about what it feels like to be Mary and to think about what it feels like to, to really love God with my whole heart. And I realize... For 37 years, 
I had the greatest parents anybody could ask for. And I never worshiped God like that. Why would I need to wait for them to come back to life to worship him for what he's already given me? I've got an amazing wife, and I don't have any reports of anything being wrong with her. That's worth celebrating the goodness and the mercy of God. I've got amazing kids who are really healthy and going on a good trajectory. Why would I wait for anything else to happen to say, God, wow, what did you give me? This is the truth. This is what's good about him. I've got so many good things. I've got an amazing church. I've got amazing pastors here that God is doing amazing things, and I get to be a part of it. Why would I wait till that's starting to fall apart? Why do I need to wait on the doctor's report and the delivery from the doctor's report to be thankful for what I've got? Why do I got to wait till bankruptcy to be excited about him paying my bills? I've already got him paid. Why can't I, why can't I just, like, yes, there are moments that disappoint me that I'm wondering, why didn't you show up? Why didn't this happen? But there are a thousand others that I never had to pray for anything because he did it before I asked. That's what's true. Yes, the moments, but man, the thousand should overshadow because what's true about my, the goodness of my God is that he's big and he loves me. And if I will make it about him, he can't help but make it about me. And can you imagine what it would look like to have a church full of people that lived Monday and Tuesday with that heart posture? Oh, God's good. Like that just, just all day, like, no, no, don't worry about it. God's got it covered. Oh, I ain't worried about $36,000. My, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not the worship guy. Like, that's not my, like, that's not, like, what I would normally teach on. Last week, Pastor Ryan did a great job teaching on worship. Then we had a worship night, and then all of a sudden, I get back to John. I'm like, oh, no, this is about worship. We got to do it again. The Holy, that's on the Holy Spirit, not on me. That was the Holy Spirit, not on me, because some of us need to hear this one more time to be reminded that if I will stay in a posture of worship, like my heart believes all that is good about God is true, and I stay in that moment, that is the breeding ground for the Holy Spirit to do His work. I mean, that is the power of God that will go out of you. You will kick down doors and be like, let's go. What are we doing? Oh, so you got a problem? Oh, my, my God can take care of that. Oh, we need money. Oh, God's got that covered because I know how big my God is. I know what's true right here. I don't have to worry. He wrote the end for me. He already told me it's going to take care of me. He already told me the little problems that are going on in our world are going to seem small in comparison to the greatness of what heaven is like. So you know what? Whatever happens here, whatever difficulties I have here, they're going to pale in comparison because that's how big my God is. And if I can stay in that place of worship, if we can stay in that, ooh, what would we do? Who could we change? Who could we love? What could we stop worrying about? And every day that a worry comes up, we're like, oh, wait, hold up. Let me think that through for a second. Let my heart get back to where God's called me to be. I don't need to worry about that. I'm not, why am I sweating the small stuff? My God is way too big to be worried about $36,000 worth of stuff. My God is way too big. And the only thing I got to do is make it about him. What do you call me to do with my money? What do you call me to do with my relationships? What do you call me to do with my speech? What have you called me to do with my time? If I will just make it about him, he will make it about me, and we will make it about changing the world. He will change the people around you. If you'll just stay in that moment of how good and how big he is, because there was one moment he let you down, and there were a thousand moments you never had to ask, and he came through. Thousands of moments where he's shown up in a big way. Yeah, the moments hurt, but my God is so much bigger than that one moment. We'll get the answers later, but I know there are thousands of moments where God has been good to you and you never had to ask for it. He showed up with people. He showed up with finance. He showed up with love and grace and mercy. And, and then he sent his son to die on the cross to show us how much he loved us. So today I'm going to challenge you to pray a prayer to let him purify your heart 
to let your heart stay in that moment. And tomorrow, he will challenge you to get back to that moment. And then on Thursday, that moment. And on Friday, that moment. You'll keep getting back to that moment of, ooh, you're too big for me to worry. You're too big for me to sweat. You're too big for me to let anything else but worship come out of my life. And I don't want it to just be in me. I want it to exude out of me. I want to do whatever it takes. I don't care how embarrassing it is. I don't care what it looks like to the world. I need to reflect worship with my life. Romans 12 calls it a living sacrifice. That's our only reasonable response is to worship him that way. So today I'm going to challenge you to make that prayer. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.